Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Uprise Radio is produced in the studios of 3CR on the stolen land of the Kulin Nations. We pay our respect to elders past and present, recognise their unceded sovereignty and stand in solidarity with all those resisting the settler colonial state. Good afternoon, listeners, and welcome again to Uprise Radio on 3CR. This is Jackson, sadly alone in the studio this afternoon. Uh, the co-host James, you are used to listening to, is taking a break. He's down in Tassie, maybe having something to do with the election that's going on down there. I don't know, really. He's been quite mysterious about it, but that's where he is. Uh, so it's just me today, but we'll be joined by a guest a bit later on. Brad Homewood from Extinction Rebellion, because we're coming full circle today on Uprise Radio. If you cast your memories all the way back to late September 2019, Uprise Radio had its very first show, uh, which focused on Extinction Rebellion. And recently, Extinction Rebellion has been uh, back in the headlines here in Melbourne and elsewhere after their Autumn Rebellion late last month, a week long uh, of protests about the impending or already beginning, already underway climate catastrophe that we're all living in. And, you know, Extinction Rebellion has built quite a reputation over the last few years. I mean, it it belies its youth with its notoriety, really. It was founded in mid-2018, so it's only a few years old, but it boasts more than 500 organisations in 70 countries. There's more than 25 groups here in Victoria and 50 or more uh, around Australia. I suppose anybody who agrees with the group's principles and takes action can do so under their name. But, uh, you know, there is some really well-organised uh, groups here in Melbourne, in Darabin, in Moreland, Westside, out on the Mornington Peninsula. Uh, and I'm sure heaps of our listeners are already super aware uh, of XR and, in fact, may have participated in last month's Autumn uh, Rebellion, which is kind of the first large-scale... Um, large-scale action the group has organised here in Melbourne since the pandemic. For those who really have no idea uh, listening, I'll just give you a very quick overview. Extinction Rebellion uses a decentralised global structure to deploy non-violent direct actions, and the actions aim to destabilise and disrupt the business as usual that is largely leading to the catastrophic climate change around us. And the disruptions will continue until the group's three demands are met. Now, those three demands are the governments tell the whole truth, 
about the climate emergency and declare a climate emergency and that they act now is, uh, is demand number two, to halt biodiversity loss and reach net zero emissions by 2025. And the final uh, key demand is the formation of citizens' assemblies drawn from the public, you know, from various strata of the public, who then can make choices, inform choices about what to do uh, to take the power out of the professional politicians, as it were. Now, they were extremely successful early on in their, in their life, XR, in drawing attention and growing very rapidly, uh, particularly out of some... Uh, you know, very successful actions that happened in May 2019, the so-called Spring Rebellion or Spring Uprising. Uh, it saw a number of arrests. It saw a lot of quite positive interactions from members of, of the public and, and the media. And in the aftermath, just days afterwards, it actually saw the UK declare, you know, their parliament declared a, a climate emergency uh, and then in May of that year. Uh, and then France and Canada followed suit, and here in Australia, there's 130 local governments and counting that have declared a climate emergency. Uh, the, the Melbourne City Council, for one, interestingly, has declared a climate emergency and said that, you know, in acknowledgement of this, it's going to take all of these steps to tackle climate change. And even at the federal level, there was a motion in 2019, funnily enough, bought by Labor and the Greens and some independents, Ali Stegall and Andrew Wilkie, uh, to and uh, to declare a climate emergency, but it was defeated by the Morrison government and assorted crossbench schools. So, of course, naming the problem is the first step, but it's been the second demand from XR uh, acting to change the climate emergency that has been much slower here in Australia and elsewhere. Recently, it was revealed that the Climate Change Authority have never even been asked by perhaps crooked industry minister, energy minister Angus Taylor has never even asked them to map out a plan to reach net zero emissions, not by 2025, not by 2050, not at all, uh, which perhaps shows uh, their intentions uh, at the coalition level about getting uh, to net zero emissions. In fact, they've only committed, and you know they don't have a plan to get any lower, but they've only committed to 26 to 28 degrees uh Lower emissions by 2030, uh, which is well short of the scientific consensus of what's needed to limit warming to two degrees. And here at the state level, uh, premiers appear to be having a bit of a bet both ways. You know, they're funding clean and unclean energy projects alike in the endless pursuit of jobs. Andrews, over the, you know, and all the hubbub of the, of the last 12 months and so, you know, quietly overturned a moratorium on new gas exploration. And lots of people have seen exploration vessels uh, cruising the coastal waters on both sides of, of Port Phillip Bay. And meanwhile, Exar's tactics of disrupting, you know, the the global finance and neoliberal capitalism that is propelling this climate crisis in in the cities uh, that 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 are the power centres of this this global structure. Uh, these tactics have not been met with you know governments listening really. They've kind of been met with further legislative changes targeting nonviolent direct action by increasing police powers. You may have heard that in the UK recently there's been all of these protests about kill the bill, which is a new police powers bill before parliament to, you know, give the police more powers to move on these difficult and disruptive protesters, you know. So instead of thinking about why we may want to interrupt the morning's commute or, you know, or uh, yeah, bring traffic to a sand school, it's just about disallowing this to happen, kind of removing that democratic right to, to take to the streets in many different creative ways. So as I said, 
Last month, Extinction Rebellion uh, Victoria held their Autumn Rebellion, a rolling series of direct actions, dance parties, lock-ons, die-ins, ride-ins, and you know, just asking for a much faster approach by government uh, towards climate change. And we are lucky uh, today to be joined by long-time XR spokesman, uh, Brad Homewood, to discuss these recent actions and some of the challenges facing Extinction Rebellion in the short and medium term. So, uh, Brad, are you there? Can you hear us? Oh. Yeah, hey, Jackson. Uh, hi, Brad. How yeah, are you? Loud and clear. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, you just yeah I'm good, thanks. Oh, thank you for joining us. Much appreciated. Um, oh, thank, you very, thank you very much for having us on the show. Nice, no, a pleasure. Um, as I said, it was the first topic we actually covered some 18 months ago, so it's nice, nice to come back to it. Uh, can you tell us a bit about the uh, Autumn Rebellion now that you've had time to reflect? Uh, was it a successful series of events at the end of March? Yeah, look, uh, we very much deemed it to be a success. Uh, it was a, a decision that was made nationally uh, just before Christmas to set the date for March 22nd. And there was a lot of uh, anxiety about that because we, uh, like a lot of activist groups, just like the economy, we had taken a decent hit over lockdown. Um, we, we were a bit concerned about capacity. Uh, so, yeah, it was a much smaller organising group than we had for Spring Rebellion 2019. So there was a smaller group of people doing a lot of heavy lifting. Um, but it really was a case of build it and they will come. Uh, yeah, but once we got the, the event up and, um, and started to promote it on Facebook, uh, we got sufficient numbers. Uh, it's fair to say we didn't didn't get the turnout that we had at Spring Rebellion in 2019. And yes, we were disappointed about that. But uh, I think in the modern context, in this brave new world we're in, uh, we're very happy with the result. We got a lot of lot of media early in the week. Some of that was fairly balanced by uh, commercial media standards. Um, the media did drop off in the second half of the week, and uh, it has been reported back to us that Neil Mitchell made a comment on air, something about the media got together and decided not to cover us. Um, we haven't had that, um, we haven't checked up on that and had that clarified, but that would be consistent with what happened. I spoke, I remember I spoke to uh, one of the Channel 7 reporters at one stage. Uh, he said he'd been pulled off and put on the New South Wales floods. So, you know, whether, whether there was bigger stories or not, and they just, you know, Bill Mitchell just put that out there. We, we don't know, to be honest, but but they, what they couldn't ignore was, uh, was XR Youth on the Thursday morning, their sensational tripod mm. action that blocked the Kingsway exit of the Westgate Freeway and backed up the, the traffic all the way to Yarraville and beyond, yeah. Mm. Just for those that weren't able to get into the city or to Carton Gardens, can you paint just a bit of a picture of some of the more, you know, uh, spectacle uh, things that were done, such as the dying out the front of Parliament and, and the Red Rebels and things like that? What kind of uh, – did you try anything new in, in this in this uh, week-long rebellion compared to uh, previous ones? Yeah, what, what were the highlights to your mind? Uh, yeah, well, look, the dying out the front of Parliament – Personally, and a lot of people within XR thought that was the perfect start to the week. Uh, it was a sombre but very poignant tone. Uh, we had medical health professionals uh, speaking. Uh, obviously, we had people lying on the road uh, with a sheet over them and the toe tags. Uh, and then we had it at the end when everyone was asked to leave the road. We had one grandmother that stayed out on the road with a looked like a baby in a swaddle, and um, and she was arrested for not leaving the road. So it was. 
it wasn't overly disruptive and it wasn't, you know, one of the harder actions, but it was just a nice soft start to the week. And, um, yeah, they got a fair bit of media. Uh, but that afternoon, we also, we swarmed the city and held some intersections and got quite an oppressive response by the police. Uh, and as a pushback, a number of people decided spontaneously to take a seat on the intersection uh, and, and to be arrested. Uh, the police basically said to us that, you know, they said to our police liaison, I should say, if you give us your plans and your routes, um, you know, we'll pretty much just arrest the people that sit down on the road. Uh, turned out not to be the case. And uh, as Violet was giving her speech at that intersection, she'd only just got started and the warning started already. So, yeah, that was a fairly oppressive uh, response from the police. And from there, the week sort of fluctuated a bit in that way. You know, on some of the actions, they were, they were as accommodating as they could be, I suppose you'd say. And other actions, they, they reverted back to that oppression. But we had a, a very strong solidarity action on the Tuesday that a uh, Westside group organised. Uh, there were swarms leaving Carlton Gardens and there was a, a separate group that took an intersection further down in the city and there was three lock-ons to a triangle set up of fencing. Um, and to be honest, the police were pretty rattled, especially when the swarms came in and, and just took over the intersection. And, and that, that went off spectacularly. That was, for me, that was a personal highlight. It's probably because I was pretty heavily involved with that one. Um, you know, disobedience is always a lot of fun. You know, we finished with disobedience on the Sunday um, and it's just a good, fun way to finish what is a pretty heavy and intense week that involves a lot of work. Um, XR Youth, uh, who, you know, only a bit over a month ago, there was literally four or five of them walking through the city with a banner and a megaphone and just calling out for people to join and, and doing little disruptive actions and intersections. Uh, and they've grown to quite a significant size in a very short period of time. Uh, and and really, they they took the cake for the week with their, with their tripod action. It was mm. that was incredible. But we, we had bike swarms too every day. Metal rebels with you know up to thirty or more people on bikes, mildly disruptive again. Great entry level activism for people, um, and and they'd ride around the city. And that got a fair bit of media earlier in the week as well. Mm. Uh, and you know if people are interested in that, they're uh, they'll be they'll be meeting once a month every, every one Saturday a month. Um, from now on as the Pedal Rebels, and you can find them on Facebook just yeah. as the Pedal Rebels. Yeah, so. It's a delicate balance, isn't it? Like when, you know, arrests and, you know, public disruption are, p- are part of the tactic, you know, so you're having to liaise with police because you, you want, you know, some arrests. And, and I know that initially when XR was launched, mass arrest was it was a really key part of the tactic because it, it results in not just a clogging of the court system, but every environmental activist that gets to stand up in front of a judge and say, these are the reasons that I was willing to, to, be, to get arrested and to be, to be fined and possibly thrown in jail. It actually leads to judges becoming more sympathetic to the cause because rationally, this, this cause is, is highly defensible. You know, this is about the planet's future so i but then at the same time you know as an activist yourself like working with cops when they can be so uh aggressive and oppressive and disallowing people to speak as you've just said about violet speech i mean yeah how do you negotiate that how do you walk that type road i know it's something that xr has been criticized about in the past as well with um you know, in terms of the ease there is for for some people, you know, people with privilege, you know, people, you know, from 
uh, white backgrounds, you know, have less risk exposing themselves to police brutality. I mean, what? Yeah, how do you work walk that tightrope when you're organising? Look, it is a very delicate, very very delicate dance. It really is, Jackson. Um, and I'd like to be very clear about this point. We are, unfortunately, we are predominantly white middle class movement. Um, we wish it wasn't the case, but that's just how it is. Uh, and the way we view that is we are very much exploiting or weaponizing our privilege. Uh, we're trying to do something positive with our privilege, but we're very conscious of our privilege too. And um, we're very conscious of the fact that we're doing something that, um, you know, for a lot of groups in our community, uh, especially First Nations people, people of colour, other minority groups, um, it, it's a much more, you know, a lot of those people wouldn't deliberately put themselves in that position for very good reason, um, you know, and, and Saturday's uh, rally uh, for Black Deaths in Custody is a perfect example of why. Um, you know, the ongoing subtle uh, and covert genocide that's happening against First Nations people. So we're very conscious of that. Um, we do have to walk a very fine line. The police liaison role, it's very important because what we want to do, because we're deliberately putting ourselves in that position, we do want to try and get the best possible outcome for our restables. Um, so, you know, sometimes it is very much, it's almost a rest by appointment. Um, and, and some actions go very smoothly because of that the work that the police liaison put in. And it's not an easy job. It's not just a matter of, of going to the police and saying, this is what we're going to do. There's always a lot of pushback from the police. The police liaison is very much the meat in the sandwich. We've got to come back to, to the group and say, well, this is what they're saying. What do you want to do? Um, but, but it is very much about trying to get the best possible result for our arrestables and, and um, try not to escalate any more than we, we have to. One of the um, great things is- one of the great things that I remember seeing in the last uh, in, the, in the big actions of 2019 was a channel I think it was channel 9 or channel seven some mainstream media journalist was going up and interviewing people trapped in cars you know like during the actions you know to try and get them to be like oh it's terrible you know damn these environmental activists and car after car of people were like no I totally support I'm happy to sit here for 30 minutes I totally support and it was such a wonderful rejection of this narrative that getting home you know in in a, in a short period of time is more important than, than the health of the planet you know and it was just this it was a beautiful moment of, of commercial television, you know, and I and I wonder now after the pandemic, you know, and the way that the language is being deployed now around, you know, we can't afford a single disruption in our slow COVID recovery, and it's about public safety, and we can't be out on the streets, and and I wonder like, what 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 is the environment like for XR now? You know, like before the pandemic, you know, there was this real sense uh, that that. That, that this movement, you know, along with the school strike for climate, you know, was really gaining traction, you know, and we're seeing, yeah, these governments declare climate emergencies and things. But but now, you know, what's your take on the effectiveness of disruptive actions right now uh, in the current context? Look, there's no doubt that climate's taken a backseat. I mean, everything's taken a backseat to the pandemic. I mean, there's just no doubt about that. And the irony of that, is if you look at the XR literature now and the web page of XR, XR is not just about climate. XR, since its inception, has always warned that we are in a climate and ecological emergency. And if you look at COVID, honestly, and you join the dots, COVID is essentially an ecological issue. COVID is a zoonotic virus. Now, 70% of new viruses are zoonotic viruses, and two-thirds of those viruses come from wild animals. 
Now, that's essentially an ecological issue. So all the pandemic has done in the, in the context of XR has vindicated the warnings of XR. You know, epidemiologists have been warning for 30 years about the rise of pandemics, the same way climate scientists have been warning about climate. So essentially, the pandemic has vindicated the warnings of XR on a climate and ecological emergency. But to answer your question more directly, uh, I'll give you a classic example. Our, our west side group have been targeting ExxonMobil in the west, uh, mostly the Yarraville facility this year. Uh, we've been doing a lot of uh, swarms on the intersection that disrupt the traffic. And even when we've been doing that, we've been getting 70 to 80% support from the cars going by, even when the, tr the cars are backed up for as far as the eye can see. And of course, there's always a small percentage of angry and abusive drivers. But the interesting thing about that is just before Autumn Rebellion, we blocked at the terminal, they got an entry and an exit gate. It's a major economic pinch point for Melbourne because those trucks refuel all the petrol stations throughout Melbourne and the regions. Mm. We turned up there. We thought, oh, we'll get there. We'll block it. We didn't tell the police this time. They'll be there within 15 minutes. Turns out it took them an hour to get there. We held up five trucks for that hour. Um now, when we did that and we didn't disrupt the public, it was honestly 90 to 95% of the cars going past that were tooting were giving us a big toot and a big wave. It's so, really it's really interesting you talk about, you know, getting the economic pinch points. And something that I really feel like that the pandemic has revealed, you know, for so long we've been told that you can't just shut down certain industries. You know, you can't possibly shut down these too big to fail industries. And you couldn't possibly roll out an incredibly expensive, you know, nationwide or global ride reform like uh, – a turn to 100% renewables is far too expensive. It's completely unrealistic. Yet when capitalism is threatened, we can roll out billions upon billions of dollars, automatically fill everyone's pockets, give all these you know, wealthy retirees new investment properties because they've got so much bloody savings coming out of their ears for this free money the government's all giving away to prop up their failing system. So do you think as well that maybe the Overton window has, has, has shifted a little bit and, and, and the pandemic has proved that when governments want to save something like their beloved neoliberal capitalist system they'll do anything they can they'll lose 62 billion you know down the side of the couch you know they they just didn't factor correctly and oh well you know that's it well we won't give it to you now because we, we we miscalculate but we were going to give it to you but they can't find that money to uh you know invest in clean energy or you know have a just transition away from fossil fuels surely we should be banging them on this that the money's well, available for them yeah, well, if capitalism's so good, why does socialism always have to bail it out? That's the joke, isn't it? Mm. Um, you know, and, and during the school strikes too, you can't take the kids out of school. Well, mm. it turns out you can take the kids out of school when you need to. So, you know, if you can take them out for, for weeks or months at a time, you can, you know, um, clearly they can miss school for a day to go on a strike as well. And look, it's incredible. We know, we know that if the will is there, the political will is there, they can do what needs to be done. Anyone who understands the monetary system and the way money is created and the fact that we're a monetary sovereign, we print our own currency, money is not an issue. Even Paul Keating confirmed this. When people were taking money out of their super, he said, this is nuts. All the Reserve Bank has to do is punch in a few keys and the money's there. So money's not the issue. It, it all comes back to political will. Has the Overton window shifted? Um, I don't know. I think a lot of people have had a lot of time to think uh, but I also think a lot of people, because of the economic crisis that's associated with it, a lot of people have pulled back into their shell too. And, and that's why I think activism across the board's taken a bit of a, bit of a hit. Um, you know, 
people have had to worry about the home front first, uh, and that's become the number one priority. Um, you know, hopefully people join the dots and realise that this massive disruption, this is really just the beginning um, of the natural world unravelling. You know, this and, and the bushfires only two summers ago and the massive floods we've just seen in New South Wales and, you know, the forecast for the Great Barrier Reef. Mm. Things are not going to get better. This, this is the start of everything spiralling out of control uh, and there's an abundance of warnings from all sorts of credible sources that we're literally looking at the end of human civilization as we know it. We've just got to hope that enough people wake up in time and realise that and are willing to do what's necessary and hit the streets. And if it's not with XR, it's with someone else, it's with FLAC or, or some other some other group engaged in non-violent direct action and civil disobedience because we know the traditional methods of campaigning are just not going to get the job done. They've, they've had 30 years uh, and they've fundamentally failed. Can, uh, I, can, I, can I pick your brain on that, Brad? You know, we... We've seen governments acknowledge that there is a climate emergency. The evidence is staring them in the face, as you've said, catastrophic bushfires, floods, you know, new zoological pandemics, the word you use, which I haven't thought away yet, but something like that. You know, there's all these, you know, very clear and present dangers. What do you think the reason is that governments seem so internally hamstrung to make significant sizable steps like why is this pressure from the public being needed what are the curtailments on politicians that stop them from engaging with what could be you know we hear all the time from you know think tanks and things that it could be a whole new economy you know built around sustainability and clean energy like the technology exists we know we hear this here on 3cr you know this wonderful beyond zero emissions program been going for years and years they're constantly presenting technological solutions i know it's part of exercise literature as well that the solutions are there and yet this you know foot dragging from particularly the higher level leaders like a lot of local governments are doing some really good initiatives if you, if you dig under the surface you know more bike lanes better composting more locally sourced materials but you get up to the higher echelons and they just seem, you know, for want of a better word, addicted to fossil fuels. But it's got to go deeper than that because even the big businesses now are starting to, you know, at least greenwash themselves and some of them are taking bigger bigger steps than that. I mean, what what do you think is is holding them back? Well, essentially, anyone who understands the political system knows they're just middle management. They really are. They're middle management for their political masters in the fossil fuel and other corporate interests. That's, that's what we know, and there's an abundance of proof for that. Um, you know, even back to the Howard era when they wrote Energy Policy and um, Guy Pearce, who was the, uh, one of the advisors for Robert Hill at the time, the Environment Minister, he turned whistleblower, that, four, that great Four Corners show called Greenhouse Mafia, where he, he literally admitted that the fossil fuel industry a right energy policy for the government. Um, you know, that's just one example. But we know that the worst thing is we know that the government knows uh, how bad things are going, are going to get because during lockdown they actually introduced legislation to Parliament to make it easier for the military to intervene in civilian affairs when we see an increase in natural disasters and mm. in, in, a, in frequency and severity mm. and included in that legislation was food shortages which is exactly what you know, people, people have lampooned Roger Hallam for warning about mass starvation and here we have the government, including in their legislation, natural disasters, including food shortages, and making it easier for the military to intervene mm. in civilian affairs because of the climate crisis. Yet they won't 
publicly acknowledge we're in a climate and ecological emergency, despite the fact that 38 nations around the world have. Mm. And and they're clearly planning for that. I remember being flabbergasted at the time of those horrendous bushfires and you know, that was Morrison's one key response, make it easier to deploy the military, you know, which looks sexy for him, you know, you know, pinning medals on people's after the, the crisis has happened. You know, what is the military going to do to prevent catastrophic climate change? All they're going to do is pick up the pieces. You know, like I remember being really disappointed. I did want to talk about Roger Hallam. Perhaps we can have that conversation another time, but we've completely run out of time uh, today, Brad. Um, thank you so much for joining us. It was a fun chat and uh, good luck with all your future work. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jackson, and uh, thank you to all your listeners. Well, that was Brad Homewood from Extinction Rebellion. You've been listening to Uprise Radio here on 3CR. Uh, We'll go out with a little bit of music. Uh, This is public service broadcast uh, with They Gave Me a Lamp. If you could get to them into one meeting or get them involved in one thing, they could see there was this other life. And then they started questioning other aspects of their life, not just relating to themselves or like myself. Politics was just something that shouldn't affect me, but politics is life. And everything to do with it affects you directly or indirectly. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.